<laughs> Morning, all you beautiful people. Happy Sunday. Last Sunday, I was looking out the window and there was a roadblock here. Who got caught? <laughs> all the good citizens there. Eh? So what a, what, a, what a privilege and a pleasure for me. I, I'm so amped about this. We're doing Hebrews and I've got Hebrews 8. So we're only going to be here for about two hours because I've got to do the whole chapter. Don't worry. It's all about a transition between... Was it me? <laughs> Firstly, do you like my slides? I sort of got in touch with my feminine side this uh, yesterday and sort of put some, some pinky movie colors up there. So the book of Hebrews, this, this particular chapter is, is just so amazing for me because it's on transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament and what that means and what that looks like and what the promises are, what was and what is. And um, if, if I had to give this a title, which I did, it would be the end of religion, the end of the Old Testament and the start of something brand new or something different. What about a better covenant. What about a better covenant? So that's what this one's about. So the Old Testament was given very simplistically to the Jewish people of the time, a bunch of rules and regulations about what to do, how to do it, why they should, and God coaching and guiding them, because why? They were a sinful people, as are we, right? A sinful people that needed guidance, and needed coaching. And we get the, we get the, the synonyms or the, the types of like a shepherd, you know, Jesus with his flock and all those kind of languages that we get through. But um, it's, it's about the Old Testament. And, and I came across this dude. His name is Archie Rand. So just for your information, in the Old Testament, there are 613 laws. 613 laws guiding us on how to do life. It had some positive things and had some negative things. Do this and perhaps don't do this because it's not good for you. Help you here, don't help you there. So that was the message of the Old Testament. And this guy, Archie Rand, he took all 613 mm, laws and put a palette together, a picture of each one. And I've just taken a snippet of one here. It's the 12th one, I think. To be with those who only worship him was one of the commandments, one of the, the, the commandments from God in the Old Testament. Isn't that a, a lovely... A lovely story right there. So uh, I just stumbled across him in, in, on the web and thought it would be cool to stick that up there. 613 laws. I needed a picture for each one. I'd love to get his book. Apparently he's got a book out with each one of these. In. So the Old Testament was like this. How many of you, like these cops last Sunday, when you come around a corner and you see, <laughs> what happens in your psyche? What happens in your being? If you're anything like me and you pay all your traffic fines and your car's disc is up to date and your license hasn't expired and right, your heart sort of goes through zero and down into your feet, okay, and then your heart starts palpitating and you think, oh me, oh my, what have I done? What are they going to stop me for? If I get pulled over, what do I say? Have I got the McDonald's? Oh no, we won't do that. But um, <laughs> so, I think you're like me, your heart goes through to your shoes. And that was the law. The law was giving people those guidelines about how to do life. Do this, don't do that. The positives and negatives, as I've mentioned. So, where was God? God dwelt with his people in those days in something called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a, a, a tent, a, 
more particular, specifically the wilderness tabernacle, was a, t a tent or a place of worship where the people came in those days. And this was given to the Israelites, who were Christians, the first Christians, um, by God himself on Mount Sinai. You remember the story about God with his, the, the, the finger or the hand of God writing on the stone tablets and giving us the Ten Commandments. It's part of it. Part of those 613 laws were the Ten Commandments. We try living up to anyone of those. Has anyone told a lie this week? Anyone used the Lord's name in vain this week, perhaps? Anyone stolen anything? It's hard, eh? And just on those, just the 10, 10 out of the 613 commandments, you try and live up to those, we are undeserving. What is our destination? Not heaven. Luckily, there's a plan. There's a savior. There's a solution. So God very specifically gave Moses on Mount Sinai, and this was the, the first introduction of something called cute bits. What is it? He had to make... Cubits, not cute bits. I'm sure Moses had cute bits. <laughs> Maybe he needed a wife. He'd have a cute bit like mine. Eh? So he very specifically gave Moses dimensions of what this tabernacle or what this courtyard should look like. And there were sort of three areas, and I'm not going to steal whoever's preaching. I think it's Laura preaching next Sunday on chapter 9, which is more about specifically about the tabernacle. But God was very specific to Moses, and he said, do it this way, do it that way. And there was an outer court, and in the outer court, they had to slaughter a lamb, take the blood, then they had to put the lamb on the altar and offer it to, to Jesus. Then whilst they were still outside, and outside in this courtyard was like a church, like this, where all the people came. And, and it had to be very specifically, the entrance had that one entrance, and it was facing east, um, and all those kind of good things, which I'm sure we'll get into next week. But they came in, they were part of the slaughtering of the lamb, they took the blood of the lamb, the high priest. He went then to a, a bronze bowl. This brass, bronze, the same thing. It's an alloy, right? So it's mixed with stuff. And says the metallurgist. <laughs> okay, and then they had to wash themselves. And then they went into the inner court. And in the inner court, there were a lot of symbolism. Three things in particular. One was the menorah or that uh, lampstand, the, the seven, the seven uh, candles or the seven lights. The center one being a picture of God and the six other ones bowing to him pretty much. And uh, de depicting the seven days of the creation of earth was what the menorah was. And I know there are other menorahs with like nine, nine lampstands, but it was forged out of gold, out of a single piece of gold. And it just speaks so beautifully about Jesus in our life and how he, how he sees us, how he values us, and how we worship him, because the middle one of the menorah was typically God. And just reminding us that today, like today, um, the Sabbath as we celebrated on a Sunday, as a day of rest, and that we should always take this day of rest. So there was the menorah. Then there was a table with had, which had very specific rules around it. Six loaves times two stacked on each other, which were infused with incense. And the, the rabbis at the end of every week had to bring new bread and change the bread, and they had to eat the old bread that was there, and the, all the symbolism around that. And... Um, then there was an altar of incense before they could go into this place called the Holy of Holies. It was an altar of incense. And I suppose they were not smelling so good. I'm not so sure what, what the, anyway, I'm, I'm joking. But the incense was there to just bring glory to God, right? And all these are pictures which we're going to next week about uh, Jesus entering our life and how we transform from being sinners, coming into God's kingdom, 
offering a sacrifice. Who's the sacrifice? Jesus was the sacrifice. It's just a beautiful story. And then they go through the veil. There was a veil, and the veil had pictures of angels on it. It was made by uh, the people at the time. Just so that you know, all the stuff that was in the, the tabernacle was made from not really the spoils, but the takings, when they left Israel, uh, when they left um, Egypt in, into the land of Israel, they were given tons of stuff, gold and silver and all those kind of things. And with their, those belongings is what they made all these artifacts in the tabernacle for. And in the Holy of Holies, where we sit and meet with God, was the presence of God. So what am I trying to tell you? Where was God in those days? He was with his people. He presents himself in the Holy of Holies. There was the Ark of the Covenant made of solid gold, was made of, of acacia wood. Uh, is it, I just wanted to go to that next picture. So there's a picture of the veil. There's the, the menorah and the incense and the table of bread. And there's the veil that only the high priest, who had to be a Levite, went in. And on behalf of all the people, of all the Israelites, of all the sinners, made an offering, an atonement with God. So he'd take some of this blood of the lamb, and he would go and sprinkle it, and the Bible tells us seven times onto the mercy seat. So the, the Ark of the Covenant was made of, uh, there we go, of acacia wood. And acacia wood was specifically taken. And I just love this picture, these pictures, and the reason I put them up there is because we have it here in South Africa. Have you ever seen those seeds on trees? They're beautiful. And it's hard wood, and it's a very resilient wood. Because wood, remember, this, this thing had to last for 40 years. And wherever they went, they had to set up this tabernacle, this tent, this place of worship. So I always thought in my mind that they traveled a lot, you know, that they would this week be here and this week be there to move a tent around, to move these kind of, uh, to move that kind of tent structure around. doesn't happen overnight. You need a lot of manpower, you need a lot of resources, right? So I just reprogrammed myself to say they were probably in situ in any place for a given period of time, a longer time than I thought, certainly. And it was made of acacia wood because it lasted 40 years, but the acacia wood was covered with gold. Beautiful. But they needed the acacia wood so it didn't rot, so they could stand the test of time, all the pillars around, etc., etc. So, uh, and then in the Ark of the Covenant, inside the Ark of the Covenant, which was also gold-plated wood, I believe, was, number one, a gold pot full of manna. God looked after his people for 40 years. They ate manna. Pop. Every morning, there's the fresh, the fresh manna from heaven. You know that song, Dale? <laughs> bread of heaven, bread of heaven. You know that old, that old hymn, what a beautiful song. Manna. In there also, the tablets that God himself with his finger wrote on and inscribed to us and gave us the Ten Commandments. Also, Aaron's rod. So the story in the Bible is around dead sticks. And there was a choosing that happened and the choosing had to happen when the next morning, whichever one budded, and Aaron's rod, Aaron's stick, a dead stick, talking of miracles, talking of manna from heaven, miracles coming down to earth in, in, in that space. So that was where God's presence was. Now, God's omniscient. doesn't mean he was just there and you could only meet with him in that place. That was his, his chosen place where the, the, the priest would come in. But he was with his people all the time because he's an omniscient God, right? So... That, in a nutshell, is the, uh, the tabernacle. So, here we go. Hebrews 8, verse 1. In the beninging. <laughs> now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. 
We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. If you've missed the whole of Hebrews, here's the sum. Here's the summary of all the previous chapters. What is it? It says, we have a high priest who is set. In other words, R-E, sitting down. Opsaitochas. He is set on the right-hand side of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Who are we talking about here? Jesus, our King Jesus, who died, was resurrected, and is now sitting in heavenly places. It starts, the book of uh, chapter 8 starts with Paul, and I personally believe there's a lot of debate around who wrote the book of Hebrews, because a lot of the Bible epistles or the story said, I, John, speaking to this, you know, it starts in that kind of language. Hebrews doesn't. So there's a lot of debate around who actually wrote Hebrews, what type of language, what are we listening for. So I personally believe that it might have been Paul. That's my, my personal belief. He's giving us the summary. He's saying that we have a, a high priest who's seated in heaven. So if he's a high priest, what did the high priest on earth have to do? They had to do all the things I briefly described. They had to make sacrifices. They had to do all those kind of things. So what sacrifice is our high priest in heaven now doing? What is his sacrifice? His sacrifice is himself. He himself. He is the lamb that was slaughtered. He is the lamb that was slain, whose blood was spilled for us. His name is Jesus. He went up to heaven after saying, what was the word I used last week? Tetelestai. It is finished. It is finished. You, people of earth, need to do nada. Zero. Nikizi nikizi seven. Nothing. Nikis. Because it is finished. He's saying the work is done, the price is paid. You do nothing. Jesus is not sitting up in heaven, pacing up and down. Jeez, mm, what about Mark? I don't know what to do about Pete's keys that are lost. And, and, and is God pacing up and down? Does God know, not know what to do? Not at all. What is he doing? He is sitting. He's sitting. He hasn't got a sock in the world about you. Why? It's finished. It is finished. That stage, the stage of Jesus' life, tick, done. It is done. He is seated. He's still got a lot of, can we say, um, lost to do, bringing sons and daughter into glory. What happens when a, a person gives their life to Jesus? We're going to have a moment afterwards with Marky leading that moment. What happens when you have an unbeliever coming to faith? There's glory, glory, glory. What's Jesus' focus? is all of us out there. And also to bring brothers and sisters that do not yet know Jesus, that do not yet know him, the, the, the salvation power that he brings to glory. What an amazing thought, eh? What an amazing thought. Another thing to notice is that on this tab tabernacle that we saw just now, in the Holy of Holies, there was no seat. There's no place for the priest to sit down. Which means that on earth, the Old Testament economy was never done. The priests need to, every Sunday, every Sabbath, sacrifice the lamb. And then once a year was the high priest. You heard the stories of the previous preachers that had been up here before. What did the high priest do? He went from the outside courtyard into the inner room, did the bread, did the menorah, did the incense, and went through the veil 
gewoonlik met die toukie om sy voet, ne? Because if he was a bad boy and couldn't live up to the law of the Old Testament, what would happen? Schnevel, right there, frak is jy. Done. That's the law. Can we live up to this law? No. No, we can't. <laughs> they had to make continual sacrifices to provide a temporary covering for people's sins. Repeat, rewind, repeat, rewind, repeat. Your situation a bit crazy right now, perhaps? Your life in a bit of turmoil? Business challenges, relational challenges, financial challenges. What's going to happen? So we worry, right? We worry, we worry, and we have sleepless nights, and we sweat. And What's God saying? Sitting on the throne, he's not worried about a thing. He's seated. He's not worried about a thing. He knows what he's going to do for humanity. He knows what he's going to do in your life, Christian brother and sister. He knows. He's got a plan and purpose for you, for your life. Don't. He's not pacing. He's not worried about you. You might be worried about you because things look dire. But he's not worried. He's seated on the right hand next to the Father. Sometimes in life, we worry so much, we get this analysis paralysis, right? There's so much going on. I, I don't know. There's data coming in here and data coming there. Or there's no data coming. I can't make up my mind. I don't know what to do. Ah, oh, which way must I go? Do I buy the house? Do I sell the car? Do I get a new wife? No, I'm just joking. Um, you know, all those kind of, those kind of and you, you are torn. And then sometimes we just get stuck. It's like, mm, you know, this just too much information. We get analysis paralysis, our inability to make a sound decision in life. Not enough data, too much data. And we start singing the song, right? She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. And around we go again. And around we go again. Analysis paralysis, making decisions. Hmm? God's going to say to you what? My son, my daughter, do not worry. Don't worry. I'm on the throne. I'm in control. When you're sitting down, you're at peace. God is in heaven. At peace about his people, about those that are unsaved, and about your situation. Siri. Ways, Google Maps, choose Siri. You sit in your car and you say, Hey Siri, take me home. Calculating. In 500 meters, turn left. And off you go. And Siri starts directing you through his job, which is, or her job, if you've got a her voice, to take you wherever it is that you want it to do. When he sees, or she sees, or the Siri sees, an obstruction ahead will say, make a U-turn. Take this road instead, and off he goes. So God is a lot like Siri, I suppose, but he's a lot better than Siri. Watch this. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Should I believe in God? It's all a mystery to me. Hey Siri, do you believe in God? I don't have a religion. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Siri, giving us guidance in life. What's missing? God bits, right? The God bits. Who's better, Siri or God, in directing your life? 
Siri will navigate. God listens to your heart. He listens to your life. He listens. He knows your situation perfectly. He knows exactly where you are, and he's at rest about it. So you might say, what if I intentionally do, God says this, and I intentionally go this way. Enter a young man called Jonah. Remember that story? What happened to Jonah? God said, go to the place called Nivea, hmm? where they make the cream. <laughs> go to Nineveh. And he said, mm-mm. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Not, not for me today, boss. I'm going to go in this little rowboat. And he hops in a rowboat on his way to what was the place called? Joffa. Joffa, I think. Jafta. Jafta. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the story we know, right? It was a rowboat. Row, row, row your boat gently the wrong way. And a big storm came along, orchestrated by God, no doubt. And they saw that if they didn't get rid of something or somebody from the boat, they were going to sink. Jonah sticks up his hand and he says, pick me, because it's because of me, I'm not listening to God right now, that you're in this mess. And what does he do? How long can you tread water? And off he goes, into into the big sea. And he had said to the people, what a beautiful story, just very quickly while I think about it, is the message that was left behind for those people about God's providence, about God's provision, because Jonah had told them, if I don't go, you're going to drown. And he went, and the storm, the storm stopped. And what a beautiful story right there for those potentially unbelieving people, right? Anyway, I digress. The next thing that happens is Jonah's now goofing in the water, and along comes Dale. Oh, no, Dale's shirt. Did you see Dale's shirt this morning? It's full of whales. Just so, just so that you know... Did you, did you notice something? We're all wearing black. We decided at uh, dinner last night that we're all wearing black and supposed to be white maybe. Black, black, black pants, black pants. Anyway, for what it's worth, I digress. <laughs> and he got, Jonah was in the water and he got snuck up for three days and for three nights he was in the belly of a big fish. Some people say a whale. I don't think Dell was big enough, personally. But he was swallowed by a big fish. You know what the moral of the story is here? You can even in your life intentionally go the wrong way. I'm going this way. And what's going to happen? We've all got Jonah tendencies, haven't we? Haven't we in life? Sometimes God speaks and we don't do and we don't hear and we go the other way. You're not hearing God? Perhaps you say, but Bruce, I'm not hearing God. He doesn't speak to me. Here's the promise. I will never leave you or forsake you, says our Heavenly Father. In the Bible, I will never leave you or forsake you. Christian brother, Christian sister, God has got your back. He will never leave you. Sometimes, perhaps, I'm on a journey going somewhere and the mind starts to race. I've made up my mind, I've heard from God, and I'm going down this road, and I'm going to do this. And along the way, this little voice or this little human brain of yours starts thinking, "Mm, but what if? Well, cook, I didn't think that's one through properly. What about, oh, you know, there's so many things that can go wrong right here with the story. Does that sound familiar, perhaps? You've made a decision in life? Think of the Mark 16 story where Jesus has been crucified. He's in the cave, 
with the big rock in front of it. And the ladies are going the next morning to go and bomb his body. And on the way there, they think, oh, this wasn't such a clever idea. How are we going to deal with this big rock when we get there? Oh, jeez, maybe I should have, maybe I could have, maybe I ought to have, maybe, maybe, maybe. And they get there and the roll, it's been rolled away. The rock has been rolled away. The, the blockage is gone. God's saying to you today, even if you are on the road that he has ordained you to be on, and you questioning yourself, or the voices are coming, or culture is coming, or people at work, or your colleagues are saying something completely different, he's got your back, Jonah. He's got your back, ladies, that are going to embalm. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6. Can you push it for me? I'll push it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Familiar with this one? Trust in the Lord. All your ways acknowledge him and he will. Here's the promise. He will direct your path. You've heard from God. Let's go and have that conversation quickly about hearing from God, right? You've heard from God. He has spoken in your life. You can willfully go. You can wrongfully go. He's got your back. There's two beautiful stories. Trust him, Jonah. Trust him, ladies. Aren't you glad you're saved? For those that are saved. Imagine trying to navigate this world without that person that's better than Siri in your life. Nephemani donkey. Hebrews 8, verse 2. We continue. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not by man. In the heavenlies, there is a tabernacle. It is an exact copy of the one that God spoke to Moses with all these cute bits and go and do this and make this. There's one in heaven. Exactly the same. There it is. That the Lord erected, not man. It is a typecast. It's a shadow which we'll see just now. In the heavenlies, there's a tabernacle made by God. The Israelites' one was a copy of the true tabernacle in heaven. That's where Jesus now reigns as king. Not a high priest here on earth. A high priest is Jesus in heaven. Number three. We'll get through these a little quicker. Hmm? For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, right? The high priest on earth had to offer gifts and sacrifices, the lambs and the blood and do things, ritualistic stuff. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Jesus, in the new tabernacle, in the heavenlies, as a high priest, what does he have to do? Exactly the same. He's got to offer gifts and sacrifices. So what does he have to offer? We mentioned it earlier. Himself. Himself. What a beautiful story. Hmm? Don't you think? A new high priest with a new tabernacle and a new covenant. A new covenant. And we're going to get to the new covenant pieces quickly. This transition from the earthly tabernacle to the heavenly tabernacle is a transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It means to us the end of religion. The end 
of the law. The end of rules and regulations that you cannot keep. Was God wrong? We'll find out. Number four. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Since there are already priests who offer gifts and according to the law. In other words, if Jesus was alive, he would not be that high priest that's going in and out. Why? Because he had to be part of Club 501. He had to be from the tribe of Levi. <laughs> Next, <same> on it. <laughs> he had to be from, he had to be a Levite. Was Jesus a Levite? No. Could he be a high priest on earth? No. No. So he trumps and supersedes. He was from a different ministry. He was from a different priesthood. A higher one. The better one. The new one. The new covenant. He was from the order of that word that Louise couldn't say properly? Milky Sidek. That one. <laughs> Number five. Who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, tabernacle, the tabernacle. You can put the emphasis on any syllable you want to. Uh, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. So, Moses was instructed by God how to do all the cute bits and how to make this and what it needed to look like and how many poles and how much linen and what needed to be made from gold and bronze and brass. He was told, because God was saying to him, it was a copy of what is already in heaven that you had to replicate. A copy or a, what's the word? A shadow. A copy or a shadow of what's in heavenly and earthly places. So he got it right. He still lived. He didn't make a mistake. God was saying to him, don't be like a fool. You know, fool philanthropist over here. Don't make modifications. Don't make changes here. Don't try and do a thing or do that. No, do it exactly as I have given to you and asked you to do. Exactly the same. So the cool thing is also now, for us that know about this, when we get to heaven, maybe there's somebody that hadn't heard about the tabernacle on earth. When you're in heaven, which may be sooner, and we think perhaps some of us, when we get to heaven, you can actually coach and guide and tell somebody about this tabernacle. So come back next week to find out more the intricacies about the tabernacle in particular. Six and seven. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Does this all mean that the Old Testament is null and void? Not at all. In the Old Testament, the new covenant was prophesied, was told about, was spoken about on numerous occasions, numerous places. And I'm going to put the... the um, Jeremiah, you're not going to read this, but there's just a text where in the Old Testament in Jeremiah and a similar one in Ezekiel is saying about the coming of the new covenant. There it is. Uh, verse 31, for finding fault with them, he said, behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. There it is. In the Old Testament, testament prophesying what is coming. 
So did God make a mistake with the Old Testament? Not at all. He used it in that time and that season for a people that needed it, waiting so that he could unleash on us, if I can use that word, Jesus. Because Jesus, his existence, his death, burial, and resurrection changed everything. No longer needed. But we need the law. Some people say, start looking in a mirror. When you're looking in a mirror, you realize how sinful you are and how much you actually need Jesus. That's the purpose of the Old Testament today. This particular scripture is crucial for our understanding as Christians. Don't you, don't you agree? There was more recently this week on, on uh, social media, like a picture of drawing a line, like a, a loop like this from the Old Testament prophecy to its fulfillment in the New Testament. And then going back and finding one and drawing a line. And there was just a myriad of lines going all over the show. Hundreds of prophecies. God spoken. Scriptures God breathes, right? Inspired by God, written by man. And all the prophecies are linking back to the New Testament. And people say it's not true. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. There it is now in the New Testament. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Not that covenant. Because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, said the Lord. They didn't do what I said. Verse 10. Here's the clincher. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. And he says, I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts. And they will be, and, and will be their God and they shall be my people. What's happened? The laws, the rules and regulations are written on tablets and added to with 613 other laws. If you then don't do this, do the laws. What's God saying? No more tablets. No more tablets of stone needed. No more laws and regulations required. What is he going to do for those that are born-again believers, spirit-filled born-again believers of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that came in the flesh? What's he going to do? He's going to write them here. I will put my laws in your mind, and I will write the laws on your heart. Whoa, new dispensation. How do I get this? How, how does this happen? We can be full of intent to get things right. Think about New Year's resolution. On the 2nd of January, I'm going to gym, and I'm going to stick it out because I've got to lose five kilos by the end of the year, and my intentions are pure, my intentions are honorable, my intentions are right. I'm going to eat healthy, I'm not going to adopt so much, I'm not going to party, um, and, and I start putting the laws on myself. Come June, July, what happens? The gym's empty. And you, those that are continuing and forging ahead, got all the space. There's space on the bicycles. There's space in the gym pit. There's space on the cardio floor. Why? Because we can try and really try and want to mean to do stuff in life. And we fail. And that's the point about the Old Testament. God says, I'm going to write my laws and hearts and regulations on your heart and in your mind. Here, 
inside. So it's gone from an external thing that you need to keep doing all the time. Sacrifice this. Go and put bread here. Go and slaughter a lamb. Sprinkle the blood. Things that we've got to do. It's external, external, external to you. Jesus dies. You invite him in by faith into your life. You become a born-again, spirit-filled believer. And what does he say he's going to do? He's going to write those things. Sit in Write them internally, in your heart and in your mind. Making sense? Lovely book. Eh? I love this chapter. It's so cool. None of them shall teach the neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. No matter who you are in the zoo, from the least to the greatest, he's going to write them on your hearts. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. Uh, I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now that is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So what do you mean? Someone came to a preacher once and said, no, I haven't been to church for a while. He said, mm, I know. Oh, you know? He says, yeah. He said, uh, why didn't you come and get me back? Why didn't you come and call me? Why didn't you see I was missing? He said, it's not my job. Not my job. In the old dispensation, maybe, his job. But the preacher, when you're standing up here, you can see so much stuff, right? You can see, you know who's missing and who's gone AWOL and who's in the place, who's not in the place. You can see. As a born-again believer, you know what's right. You know where you should be. You know what God is saying to you. So is it the leadership or the eldership of a church to come and call you out? No, because in the new dispensation, God will write those things and give you those things on your heart and on your mind. Make sense? The new covenant is all about what is your heart telling you? What is Jesus telling you? God is saying every man will know the Lord. That's what it says in the scripture. I promise. I think that those old Israelites were the most radical Christians ever that existed. They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't have, well, they had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. Did they have the book of Hebrews that they could cross-reference and say, this is what's going on? No, they were those radical people for when that happened, they were living with the Messiah. They were the first to receive the Holy Spirit, those that were. And it was just something they did. They didn't go by the laws. They went by what God was saying to them individually. Ah, I get it. I get what God's wanting for my life. I get where God's taking me. How are you doing in that department? How are you hearing from God? What are you doing for that personal close relationship with our Heavenly Father so that when He speaks, Ah, oh, I don't know what you want. Lord, do you want me to buy that new car? Do you want me to buy that? Do you, whatever the situation is, my question to everybody that ever comes for counseling to us to say, what is God saying to you? What is your personal story? What is your personal relationship with life with God? What is he saying to you? I don't think I'm the only one that gets things wrong sometimes, most of the time. I'm not the only fool in the house, I don't think. 
We all make mistakes. But how do you do this right? You dig in. You tuck in to the word of God. His promises are he's going to write it in your heart and in your mind. You want to know what he's saying to you? Ask him. Do you want to know what he's saying to you? Read your Bible. Do you want to know what he's saying to you? Pray to your heavenly father. Do you want to know what he's saying to you? Come to life group. There's wisdom in the council of many. Are you going to buy that house? Do you want to buy that car? There's wisdom in the council of many. People can speak into your life. They can deposit into your life. They can give you words of knowledge. They can give you words of wisdom. Lee, Lee was talking about that trellis work. I just love that. Was it here or outside, Lee? What's here? He gave a picture of a trellis work. How's your trellis work looking for God so that when he gives you fruit that you don't crumble? How does your giving look like? All I want to close with is saying the following. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Born again, brother and sister, be led by the Holy Spirit. Here's a beautiful chapter of Scripture encouraging us to say, Old Testament had its time and its place. The New Testament's all about Jesus. It's all, Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. Christian. Christian. We are little Jesuses in the making. We can never be like him, but we're on that journey to completeness, to fullness, to restitution, to a, a, a relationship with the Father where I can hear that still small voice when he speaks. He's not the one that shouts. The enemy shouts. You bad boy, you did this. God is peaceful, just like this. He's peaceful. He's serene. He speaks to your inner man. He's an inner witness, Scripture tells us. Listen for that small voice. The religious work of the law is done. Tetelestai. It is finished. Jesus is right now seated, seated, not pacing, not worrying about you, not worrying about his people. He is seated. His job for now is done. He is seated with you in mind. He knows your story. He's got your back. He's there for you. You don't know Jesus? Make that faith statement today. You're watching online? You don't know Jesus? Make that faith statement today. It's all it takes. In faith, step out and say, I receive, I believe Jesus existed. I believe that he died. I believe he rose. And I currently believe that he's sitting on the right-hand side of the Father, seated, looking after humanity and looking after you. The work is done. We have a new priest, a new covenant, a new sanctuary or tabernacle, and a new reason every day to say, Hallelujah. All glory to God. Flate, flate, most studious aid. Let me pray for you. Can I pray for you? Father God in heaven, <laughs> thank you for this book of Hebrews. Thank you for chapter 8, which tells us that we can have a personal relationship with you. Thank you that you made a way for a personal relationship via the person of Jesus. Thank you that you gave us your Holy Spirit. That when we have crossed that line of faith, he lives in the 
person of the Holy Spirit inside us. I pray that spiritual ears and spiritual eyes, spiritual hearts will open today as we just get a fresh reminder of who you are, what you are doing in our lives and what you are doing for humanity. And I pray and I lift up all those people, Father God, you said your work is not finished. You have brothers and sisters who you still need to bring to glory. And right now I pray for all those people that do not yet know you, that have not yet crossed that line of faith, that you would reach down. And maybe in some small way this preach, maybe in some small way when God puts somebody on your heart to go and have a word in a coffee shop or standing in checkers, wherever it is, and God says, speak to that person. It's my son or my daughter that you would step out in faith and tell them of the goodness of God. The beauty of his son, Jesus, and the power and the authority you have in his Holy Spirit. I pray for an open heaven amongst everyone here, Father God, as they go, where those questions we were talking about, about what do I do, should I do, should I buy, should I sell, should I, all the relationships, the businesses, Lord, I just lift them up to you, the relationships, the marriages, the children, the finances, those clients. Willem, we need your key, buddy. We need your key. Open the doors, Father, of the floodgates of heaven, I pray, that we can prosper, but more importantly, Lord, that we can tell people about your goodness. You bless us, we bless others. We love you. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.